All right. Well, let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We know the words of man is a waste of time. So we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us tonight. We do pray for those that are away from us right now, those watching on live stream. May you bless them as well. We pray also for Chris as he's teaching the youth tonight. Be with him. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So Kings, as we have seen, First Kings, it's, a, it's an historical book. And as we're looking at the book of Kings, we've seen the sadness of what happened to Israel. And what happened was King David was the king. And even though King David had problems, even though King David was far from a perfect man, he was a man for God's own heart because when he sinned, he repented. And he was a man who continued to turn to the Lord, even though, you know, he committed adultery and he committed murder and he was still a man for God's own heart. There's hope for all of us. Can I get an amen? But what's amazing is that his son Solomon, as we saw, was asked for the gift of wisdom and he started off really well. And it seemed like he had wisdom, but he had wisdom for other people, but not for himself. And there were three things that a king was told not to multiply, gold, chariots, and women. And Solomon multiplied them all. And in the end, Solomon, it says in the word, it tells kings not to take wives of, you know, from foreign lands, not from foreign kingdoms, because they will turn you away toward their gods. And in the end, Solomon, who had built the temple on the other side of the Brook Kidron, in the, where the Mount of Olives is, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, where Jesus would one day be arrested, he put up altars to all these false gods. Well, then Rehoboam came after him. God told Solomon he was going to be judged for what he had done, that he, the, that he would not continue to be able to rule over the kingdom. And so Rehoboam came along. That was his son. We saw him last week, last couple of weeks. Rehoboam had problems. Rehoboam also uh, tried to take all of the land. And we know that God brought a man by the name of Jeroboam. And a prophet came to him and told him he was going to take the 10 northern kingdoms and Rehoboam was going to have the two southern kingdoms. So from now on, when we look at these historical books in scripture, Israel is the northern 10 tribes and Judah is the southern two tribes. So Israel's to the north and the king up there at the, at the last, last chapter was Jeroboam and in the south was Rehoboam. Rehoboam and Jeroboam, both of them, continue with idolatry. If you remember what Jeroboam did, he raised up his own, he created his own religion, if you will. Remember, he went out and got golden calves and he made it easy for people to worship in the Northern 10 tribe area because he didn't want them going down to Jerusalem because he was afraid they wouldn't come back. And boy, there's nothing new under the sun because there's churches today that try to make it as entertaining as possible because they're afraid they might lose their sheep. Well, here's the reality. They're not anybody's sheep. They're the Lord's sheep. Can I get an amen to that? And I've never, I've never found someone who's getting fed while jumping over a fence to go eat weeds. Can I get an amen to that? So teach them the truth. And so now we come to tonight's chapter. Jeroboam, as we saw, had basically created his own religion. God said he was going to bring judgment upon him. And Rehoboam had said of him as well. Jeroboam was told by the prophet that his entire family, would, his entire name would be wiped away from the face of the earth because of what he had done. So now we get to chapter 15. And I tell the message tonight, if you're, if you're new here, I tend, I tend to have an outline that is applicational. If you were here for inductive Bible study, we'll do that again. I'll teach it. Uh, it this is what I teach in India when I teach pastors how to teach the Bible. And it's observation, interpretation, application. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? And so when you study the Bible, especially when you study to teach it to someone else, you want to understand what does it say? And then you want to take the time to discover what does it mean? And then you need to give an application. The O and the I can be taught to anybody. And the A is where you find people's gifting because they can see applications in scripture. So I try to give you outlines that are applicational so you can take them home and they apply to your life. A lot of people do an observational outline. They'll just say, well, Asa, and they'll name the names of the people that are there. That's fine. But I'd rather give you something that you can take home with you. So I titled the message tonight, The Choices We Make Matter. And I know we live in a time right now where people struggle with the difference between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And do you know the Bible teaches the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? And it's not one or the other. Can I get an amen to that? And there'll be people that will argue with you and say, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, you can't believe in the free will of man. And if you believe in the free will of man, you can't believe in the sovereignty of God. But here's the reality. The Bible teaches them both. God, does God know everything? What's the answer? 
And does he already know the things that are going to happen in the future? What's the answer? Yes. And it gives us a headache because we're not God and he is. Amen. All right? But here's the reality. Because God knows doesn't mean God, that makes, us, God makes us choose. And we're going to see some choices tonight made by kings. And we're going to see the choices that they make are not only going to impact them and their people, but also their eternity. So I just have four points tonight. Choices we make matter. Choose this day whom you will serve. First, you can follow in the footsteps of ungodly examples. We're going to see that in the first king that we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to see how his dad was ungodly. And his grandfather, to a certain extent, was ungodly as well. And he's going to follow in their footsteps. And sadly, that happens today, doesn't it? People follow the pattern of their parents or their grandparents. But the reality is that all of us are accountable for the choices we make. Now, it's a blessing to have godly parents and grandparents because I had them and I'm thankful for it. By the way, I think I told you, I got to go see my mom for the first time in the year this last week. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful for a godly mom. But the reality is that we're still accountable because we're going to see in tonight's chapter that a young man who had ungodly parents becomes an extremely godly man. And you'll see sometimes in life, people with godly parents that become ungodly. Because again, God has no grandchildren. We all have to make our own choice in our relationship with the Lord. So point number one. The choices we, that we make matter. You can follow in the footsteps of ungodly examples. Number two, you can take a stand for what is right when no one else will. Boy, we need some of that right about now. Can I get an amen? And we're going to see this king come who comes right from a father who is ungodly and a grandfather who's ungodly, and he's going to make a stand for the Lord when nobody else will. And not only is he going to take a stand for the Lord, but he's going to do something about it. And he's going to break down all the idols. And he's even going to burn his grandmother's, uh, you know, false god. He's going to set his grandma's false god on fire. I, I just love that picture. Granny's sitting there and he's setting it on fire. That's good stuff. That's permanent when you burn it down. Can I get an amen? So I love an Asa tonight. We'll see him. And he's not perfect either. The other choice we can make is cease to not be desperate for the Lord. We can become comfortable in our faith. See, the guy that's going to start well, He's going to go along after some years. And after, you know, after, when we're young in our faith and we're in a position where, where we maybe don't have a lot of finances, maybe when we're young and we just have to be desperate for God to make rent. You know, we got to be desperate for God that we're going to eat. I remember when Lynette and I first got married and we lived in this little drab apartment with lime green shag carpet. I think it was a mess, but we were blessed because we were there together and, and, we, and God provided all the way through. But the reality is that Sometimes after some time goes by in our faith, if we're not careful, we can start becoming self-reliant and we're going to see it tonight. You get some money in the bank and something comes along, you just write a check. You don't even talk to God about it. You think you can fix it using your own resources and your own experience. I pray that we never get to the place where we're so comfortable that we cease to be desperate for God. Amen. Because we need to be humble, broken, and desperate so we can be usable. And then finally, we can think that God's righteous judgment will never come. You know, God's grace is not God's permission. And the fact that he suffers long does not mean he, won't, he suffers always. Because you've been living in an ungodly way and you've been getting away with it for a certain amount of time, you can fall into the trap of thinking that I will never be judged for it. Well, judgment is coming if we don't repent. Amen. So let's begin there looking at the choices we make matter, follow, follow in the footsteps of ungodly examples. It says, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. Now, the way the, this historical book is written, it goes back and forth between Judah and Israel. God could write the Bible any way he wants to, but here's how he chose to do it. So they will tell you who the king is in Israel, and then they will tell you the name of the king we're going to address. So it's during the time when Jeroboam is still king in Israel. And now we're going to spend the first half of the chapter talking about the kings that are kings down in, in Judah. And so he's mentioning that during the time of Jeroboam, another king came, came along and his name was Abijam or Abijam. And so it's important to remember that the children of Israel were again divided in two nations. And so we're talking about now Judah. Now we're going to see this as we continue to go through first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. 
In Judah, we're going to see good king, evil king, good king, evil king, good king, evil king. And in Israel, evil king, evil king, evil king, evil king, evil king, no good kings. Some more evil than others. And it's so tragic that we got to remember these were the, their ancestors were the ones wandering in the wilderness. Their ancestors were the ones that were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. Their ancestors were the ones that walked in and conquered the giants in the land. Their ancestors were the ones that worshiped God. And now we fast forward not that long and we see them walking away. So in the Southern kingdom of Judah, the first king was David. Then we had Solomon. Then we had Rehoboam. And now we have Abijam or Abijam. So it says there, he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the granddaughter of Absalom, Abisham, excuse me. So Abisham is a, the great grandson of David. Abijam is the great grandson of David, the fourth generation in his family to now reign as king. Abijam means that my father is the sea. Uh, his mother's name means oppression, and she's actually the granddaughter of Absalom. So he's the, the, the grandson, the great-grandson of Absalom, the great-grandson, great-grandson, great-grandson of, of David. So he walked in all, it says now, now here's this tragic part. So here we have a new king. He's only going to reign for three years. That ought to tell us something right off the bat. He's only going to be king for three years, shorter than a presidential term. Now watch what it says. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God. Now I want you to notice something that as we go through first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles and other places in the Bible, God will describe a King in a sentence. He will give him an epitaph, if you will. This is basically what you could write on his, on his gravestone. And he tells us right off the bat, here's how he describes this King. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not loyal to his God. I wonder what our epitaph's going to be when, we, when we're done. What will they say about us? And what, what, most importantly, who cares what they say about us? What will God say about us? Amen. Amen? And the tragic part here is this whole, this, notice how God doesn't elaborate. He doesn't take time to talk about what a difficult childhood he might've had. He doesn't take time to talk about how educated he was or how wealthy he was or how many wars that he won. He doesn't talk about any of that. All he talks about is he was not loyal to God. He walked in the sinful ways of his father and he was not loyal to God. And guys, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is gonna matter. Can I get an amen to that? When we get to heaven, God's not going to ask you how much was in your 401k. He's not going to ask you how big your house was or what accomplishments you had at work, though you should do your job as unto the Lord. He's not going to ask you how much you bench press. He's not going to ask you any of these things, you know, how, what kind of, how stylish you were in your outfits. You know, he's not going to ask about any of that. And those are, aren't necessarily wrong things, but in eternity, the only thing that's going to matter is what have you done with God's son? Nothing else will matter. Again, what have you done with the Lord? So he encapsulates or sums up the life of each king in a brief statement. And King Abijam, again, walked in the sins of his father. Now, who is his father? His father's Rehoboam. Rehoboam is dead. He's gone now. His son takes his place. And his son learns from his father, who was an idolater. And because of that, he too continues in the same idolatry that he had seen ex exemplified for him by his dad. Now he could have learned because God brought judgment upon him because of it, but he was not loyal to the Lord and his commands. And there's only one word for that. And the word is evil. There's good and there's evil. There's godly and there's ungodly. There's saved and there's unsaved. There's saints and there's ain'ts. Can I get an Amen. And so you're either born again or you're not. And it's one of those two things. And that's what matters in eternity. And notice though, the grace that showed upon him, not because of his dad, but because of his great grandfather. Here's what it says. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord hitheth God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything he commanded him in all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. It's a big except though. Can I get an amen? He was a wonderful guy, except he committed adultery and then killed the dude to cover it up. It sounds like an episode of Dateline, doesn't it? But the reality is, praise God that 
Aren't you glad that our God's a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God? Aren't you glad that our God sees the finished product? Aren't you glad that our God, your God, my God, does not just focus on our worst moment? We've all got those. And we're all thankful that we've been forgiven. Follow the Lord, it's good. Don't follow the Lord, it's evil. Obey the Lord, it's good. Disobey and rebel against the Lord, it's evil. In the New Testament, it tells us that judgment for all eternity will not be based on a long list or a resume of your good works. Salvation and your relationship with Christ and him alone will determine where you spend eternity. Again, it'll all be based based on what you've done with God's son. There's two judgments that will come in eternity. There's a great white throne judgment. And then there's the Bema seat judgment. The great white throne judgment is where people who, as believers, we will not face that judgment. We've been forgiven. The price has been paid. Praise the Lord. Amen. But those who stand before him, all be accountable. They won't be able to blame it on their grandparents or their parents. King Abijam's not going to be able to say, well, my dad Rehoboam was a mess. And that's why I'm here. It's his fault. It's the parents you gave to me. We all make choices. Choose today whom you will serve. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. But guess what? For believers, we're born again already. We're saints, not ain'ts. Praise the Lord. But as we stand before the Lord in the Bema seat judgment, we will be judged for how faithful we've been with the gifts God has given us and the calling he's placed upon our lives. Abijam was given, he, made, he was made king over Judah, which includes Jerusalem. It includes the area with the temple. And he should have been entering people into worship. He should have been standing for the things of God. And instead he continued in the idolatry that he received from his father. You know, it says that some will enter into heaven as by fire. So here's what that means. Some of us, by the way, here's, here's, how, here's the de definition of success, period. Here it is. Hearing this, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Anything short of that has been an unsuccessful life. Can I get an amen to that? And you can be, have a saved soul and a wasted life. And the Bible talks about some coming in as, as by fire, which literally means whatever works they have done are of no value. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It's all chaff. It all gets burned away. And you know what? They'll be in heaven, but they'll be smelling a little bit like hell when they get there. Can I get an amen? They're just, right? And the reality is, praise God that we, you know, I, you know, we all want to say, look, I'll take any corner of heaven, any corner. I was talking to Tim and Charmaine, and she was saying that. She's like, because she's, Facing heaven soon if God doesn't do something supernatural. And he can. We're praying for that. Amen. God can do it. But heaven's better. And she's like, I'll take any corner. Just, I, just let me be there. I agree with that. But does the Bible tell us that we should seek the gifts that God has given us? Can I get an amen? Doesn't he talk about crowns? Doesn't he talk? Now, again, we don't, I just strive for the Lord and God will take care of that. But the reality is we're going to stand before the Lord. And again, true success is hearing, well done, Thou good and faithful servant. Again, we don't do things to earn heaven. We've already been given heaven. Amen. We already have eternal life. We're living it now. But are we using the time we have for his kingdom and for his glory? So these kings we're going to look at today, they had a calling from God and they were judged based on their faithfulness to his word and their calling as kings. And again, their epitaph, we know the first one is, he was unrighteous. He did not follow the Lord. He continued in the sinful ways of his father. We're going to see that the next king has a totally different epitaph. And I pray that all of us, I pray that I'd have some, you know, just well done, thou good and faithful servant. That would work. Can I get an amen to that? Love the Lord. Matter of fact, I'm working on that right now because my, my sisters have my dad's ashes for three and a half years and we're finally, uh, getting gravestones and stuff. And I've been thinking about that for my dad. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I just got right down to it. Servant of God. I don't, it's not, there's nothing else, nothing more, nothing better. Can I get an amen? amen. Servant of Jesus. Love the Lord. We're, we're called to fulfill the great commission and to represent the Lord to a lost and dying world. And David is the standard by which all other kings are measured. And the ultimate standard is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who hadn't even come to earth yet. Amen. But that's the example. So you can be an example for bad or an example for good. And you don't even have to be old to set the right example. Let no one despise your youth. So what kind of example are we being to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers? Are we pointing them to Jesus? 
And so it says here, because of David, Abijam's getting some grace because of who he is related to. Because God had made a promise to David. And because of that promise, Abijam, in spite of who he is and the choices he's making, is blessed by God. But notice, then it says, and there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. So the tribes of Rehoboam, Judah, and Israel, can you imagine this? Judah and Israel are at war with each other for decade after decade after decade. They were the ones that marched together again in the wilderness. They were the ones that came into the land of promise, put their feet in the Jordan River and saw it part. They're the ones, their families walked through the Red Sea. They're the ones where God brought manna from the sky. They're the ones that came in and had victory over the giants in the land. It was all of them together that built the temple in Jerusalem and honored the Lord. And now they're at war with each other. And they're at war with each other because none of them are right with God. And the reality is that churches can even do that if we're not careful. Guys, we're all on, one, all, we're all on the same team, amen? We all want to see people go to heaven. And when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Now it says there, now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So after his dad dies, the wars continued. And Abijam just followed in his dad's footsteps. He just kept doing the same things that his evil father was doing. And you know what? We can use that as an excuse, but it's not an excuse. You know, people say, well, I'm an alcoholic because my parents are alcoholics and my grandparents are alcoholics. Well, maybe they drank it in front of you and maybe you have a per, you know, part of you that leans in that direction. But here's the reality. We were all born sinners. We were all born sinners. And if we all just do what our flesh wants to do, it's going to be a disaster. And the truth is, what, the only way we change is if we die to ourselves, if we deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him, amen? And that's when that cycle stops. That's when that cycle gets broken. And it's, it's not an excuse. It doesn't work. You're not going to be able to stand before God on judgment day and blame it on your parents. God has no grandchildren. At some point, you must have your own relationship with God. Now, we know this from Chronicles that Abijam was in a war and he faced Jeroboam and his army, and they were outnumbered 400,000 to 800,000. And Abijam called out to the Lord for help and killed 500,000 of Jeroboam's men and won the battle when he was outnumbered two to one. Now, the scary part about that to me is, and this is how a lot of people are. You know when he cried out to the Lord? When he was in trouble. And there's people, that's only when they, you've heard it said, there's no drowning atheists, amen? There's no atheist in a foxhole. There's no atheist in a plane that's about to crash. Everybody's crying out to God, but guys, that's too late. We need to be crying out to God all the time. Can I get amen to that? It's not, he's not the last resort. He should be the first stop. He should be the one we're always crying out to, the one we're always seeking after, the one who we cry out to always for everything. So he reigned, he reigned for just three years. He called out to God for help and God showed him favor in the battle. But here's the sad part. He walked in all the sins of his father and his heart was not loyal to the Lord. And that's the only thing in this entire text about him that matters. Because everything else that happened in the end, this is how God defines him. As a man who walked in the sins of his father and his heart was not loyal to the Lord. It says, so Abijam rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So Abijam only reigns for three years, and now here comes his son. So Asa watched his grandfather, Rehoboam, setting up all these false idols. Then he saw his dad become king, and he followed in his footsteps, doing exactly the same thing. Now Asa, because this happens, probably a younger man, because his dad was only king for three years, and now he's gone. And so he's probably a younger man. We don't know for sure, but he probably is. And you would just expect, well, he'll just do what his dad and his grandfather did. But praise God that Asa had a mind of his own. Praise God that he was a, a young man who didn't just do what everybody else did. You've heard me say it, any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? Anybody can just be like the rest of the world. And we need men and women who will make a stand for the things of God when nobody else will. And this is exactly what's going to take place. So point number one, you can just follow in the footsteps of ungodly examples, or you can take a stand for what is right when no one else will. Look what it says 
of young Asa, beginning there in verse 9. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, again, they're always telling you who the king is in Israel. When they introduce you to the kings in Judah, when they introduce you to a king in Israel, they'll tell you who the king was in Judah, so you have a timeline. So it says, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned how long? 41 years. 41 years. His dad reigned for three years. He reigned for 41. Boy, if he's an evil king, 41 years is a long time. Sometimes it's hard to wait four years for the next election. Can I get an amen? 41. Can you imagine 41 years of an evil king? Well, here's the good news. Look what it says. 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Makkah. His granddaughter, the granddaughter of Absalom, says Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. Praise God in the middle of all of this, that here we have a godly and a good king that comes in the midst of a bunch of evil kings. And he does what is right when nobody else does. And notice he's linked to David, not to Rehoboam, not to Abishan, not to his, his own father and his grandfather, because he wasn't like them. He was going to be like King David. We're going to see that he's far from perfect. He's going to make some poor choices later on. But 41 years, he's going to reign. I think, you know, what it made me think of is like being a Supreme Court judge. Don't they always live to be like 100? Doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it feel like the Supreme Court judges are in there forever? Well, this is, he's going to be the king for 41 years. And you know what? It's going to be a good 41 years for Judah because he's a man that honors the Lord. Again, no one will be able to make an excuse for their behavior because he had an ungodly dad. He had an ungodly grandfather. They were worshiping false gods. God said of his own dad that he did not, was not loyal to the Lord. And in the midst of all of that, he has a son that stands for God when nobody else will. And praise God for that. Amen. You know, we're all accountable for the choices we make. We all have an opportunity to be saved. And again, when we're saved, we're new creations. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I had someone calling me this week and they're like, yeah, I'm under a generational curse. I need help. I'm like, uh, that curse was crucified on the cross of Calvary. Can I get amen to that? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Amen. The apostle, you know, the apostle Paul didn't introduce himself as Saul of Tarsus. Amen. Because he was a new creation in Christ. He was a murderer of Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. And he became the apostle Paul. And he didn't get up in a meeting and say, hi, my name's Paul. And I used to be. Guys, it's not who we used to be. It's who we are in Christ. Amen. And, and I want to encourage you. Look, I get it. I've gone to some of those meetings I've had to. I've had family members that struggle with it. But just talking about being an alcoholic or a drug addict for the next 40 years. It's not who you were. It's who you are in Christ that matters. Can I get an amen to that? We need to rest in that. Now, I'm not saying if you struggle, God, whatever God uses to help you with that, that's between you and the Lord. But what I would say, we don't need, really need a 12-step program. We need a one-step program. Jesus Christ, I'm crucified and risen from the dead. Amen. Amen. And we either believe he can redeem us, restore us, and transform us, or we don't. We don't want to put our faith in men and, and, and put our faith in meetings. We want to put our faith in Christ. Okay, and God can use that, but God can use you driving your car into a tree. I don't suggest that either. Can I get an amen? God can use anything to get our attention, but the answer is the Lord. I'd go to some of those meetings because I had to, because uh, my, my sons were dealing with it and they would have these meetings where they wanted us to come and it would break my heart. These people around the room just talking about how drunk they used to get. Somehow that helps. I'm not sure how that helps. And then they would talk about how much despair they have. And there was a young man that said he wanted to just, he said he's ready to kill himself because he was such a disaster and he was of no value. And they gave him a bunch of pablum answers. And I said, stop, you need Jesus, young man. Oh, you can't talk about Jesus in here. Well, better get three people to get me out of here because this is what we're doing. And we talked about the Lord and told him, because guys, the answer is Jesus, Amen. And he's the only hope and the only answer. And we need to be unashamed of the gospel. And we need to preach it with boldness. And we need to live it out loud in our actions. Amen. And praise God for Asa in the middle of all this ungodliness. Watch what he does. It's one thing to say, it says, he honored the Lord. Praise God. How did he do it? Now, you know, I like this guy because watch what he does. This is good stuff right here. 
And he banished the perverted persons from the land and he removed all the idols that his fathers had made. His fathers, his grandfathers, and his great-grandfather, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijam, had all made idols. They had all been worshiping false gods and praised God for a great-grandson, a grandson and a son who came along and took down all their idols, destroyed them all, broke them all down. And I love it. Now notice it says here too, and this is not popular, but we're biblical, not popular. Can I get an amen? So here's what it says. He banished the perverted persons. This is, the, this is what the Bible says, and here's what he's talking about. Part of their worship was the worship to the God, gods Ashtaroth and Baal, and they were gods of sexual promiscuity. They were gods of sex. And so what would happen is you would go up to worship, and there would be temple prostitutes, and the perverted right here is talking about homosexuals. So there were men sleeping with men and men sleeping with women. And and he went in and he removed them, took them out, removed them completely. Now, you say things like that and people would start getting squirmed. We can't, you're being homophobic. I'm not afraid of homosexuals. I pray for them. They need Jesus. Can I get an amen? I'm sinophobic. Can I get an amen to that? I have a problem with sin. Now, here's the reality. Does the Lord love adulterers? Does he love fornicators? Some homosexuals, some liars, gossips, right? So we're all sinners saved by grace. But the point was that they were engaging in perversion as an act of worship. And Asa comes along and says, no, that's not okay. We're not doing that. And we live in a time now, look, the church I pastored in Santa Cruz had one of the largest homosexual populations in the country. And people would come in and, the, and, we, and anybody's welcome. They want to come. They would picket our, our place sometimes, uh, you know, because of Prop 8. And I'd say, go give them some donuts and tell them we love them. Amen? Just love on them in Jesus' name. But when you talk about this, somebody's got someone they're related to. And if you do, I, you know, I'm, rela- I'm related to people that are fornicators. Can I get anybody into that? We have people in our lives that choose to live ungodly lives. And that doesn't mean that we then take offense when that sin is called out for what it is. Amen. We're all sinners saved by grace and it's wrong and it's ungodly. And praise God that Asa stood up and didn't try to be politically correct. Amen. He went in and said, look, this is wrong. It's sin. It's perverse. It's going to stop now. And we're going to tear all the idols down while we're at it. And praise God that this young man was unashamed. So it's part of the idol worship to these Canaanite gods up in the high places, perversion uh, referred to as worship. He removed all the Ashtaroth poles, all the Baal's statues to Baal, all the worship of false gods and all the perversion that went with it. He took a stand for what is godly. He stood against what was evil and he did it even when nobody else would. And praise God for that young man. Can I get an amen to that? Now we need to make stands. We need to do it in love. Because we're all sinners saved by grace, and we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, and we, we don't act like we've arrived, and we're more holy than anybody else. We're sinners saved by grace, but we have been made holy through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we do, we do need to make a stand. Now, he banished the perverted persons from the land, removed all the idols that his fathers had made, and he removed Maka, his grandmother, from being the queen mother. He fired grandma. You got to love this guy. He went into grandma and said, yeah, you're fired. You're out. You're not the queen mother anymore. You know why? Because she was worshiping false gods. She was actually had made a statue herself of, 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 of an organ human organ and was as an act of worship and her grandson's going to go up there, break it down and set it on fire right in front of granny. I love this guy because we need to understand that we need to love God more than we even love our own families. And we need to stand for the things of God, even when someone in our own family might not agree with it because we love our families, but we love God more. And you know what? When you love God more than your wife or your husband or your children or your brothers or your sisters, you know what? That's only going to make those relationships better. Because when I love God more than my wife, 
I'm going to treat my wife the way the Lord wants me to treat my wife. Amen. Our marriage is going to be better. Our relationship with our children is better. Our relationship with our grandchildren is better. Look what it says here. Because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut, her, cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. Now, what's crazy is the brook Kidron is just outside the city gates of Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, you come out the eastern, you step down, and it's just a little cavern, and then you go right back the other side, and there's the Mount of Olives. So here's the temple right here, and here's all these false idols, and here's all of these things being sacrificed to them, and it's a plain view of the temple that was built by Solomon for the worship of the true and living God, and they just put it right there. And you know what? There's nothing new under the sun, because we, we live in a world today where the Lord should be the one that's worshiped, and we see all the worship of all the false gods of this world. What false gods are we talking about? Money, fame, comfort, whatever it is that you chase after, and it's more important than the Lord. So praise God that Asa steps up. It says, but the high places were not removed. Oh, no. Now, the high places, there's some debate here. I looked at several different uh, usual potatoes. You know what a usual potato is? A commentator, right? So I looked at some of the commentators, and uh, that was pretty good, huh? So got to admit it. So the commentators, but half of them said that he was just flat out wrong, and he should have taken the high places out. But there are references where there were high places where actual worship took place to the true and living God. But I believe that it says, but, because it's saying, well, he was doing well and he should have wiped the high places out completely, but he didn't. And a lot of people said, you know, sometimes we have things ingrained into our culture where we cease to even see it as evil. It's been there long enough. We start to accept it. We get desensitized to sin. Can I get an amen to that? You hear something enough times and before you know it, it's not bad anymore. I have this conversation with one of my sons all the time about foul language. He goes, dad, it's not that bad. I said, it's only because you've heard those words 10,000 times a piece and you've become desensitized to them. Amen. And we've all heard them. And if you hear God's name being taken in vain and it doesn't make you wince a little bit, um, you need to get closer to the Lord. Can I get an amen? Because it should break your heart and it does. So he doesn't take down the high places. And he says there, Asa, but nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. Can there be a greater statement said about anybody? Loyal to the Lord all her days. Loyal to the Lord all his days. Walk with the Lord all your life. What a great thing to have almighty God say about you. Can I get an amen to that? And so Asa was far from perfect. We're, you know, we are all sinners saved by grace. But again, he was a man who did love the Lord and served him all his days. My notes are completely out of order. Blessed are the flexible. Can I get an amen to that? So he fired grandma. He burned down all the idols. He destroyed her image that she had, uh, you know, the, the, the ungodly image that she had created because he valued his relationship with God and being obedient to him more than he valued his relationship with anybody on this earth. It says in Genesis, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. One of the big, one of the big struggles when I do marriage counseling, I've been doing it for 30 years. There's too many times where mom and dad still have way too much influence in your marriage. Can I get an amen to that? You don't call your dad, you ask your husband. Can I get an amen to that? You don't run to your wife, right? My daughter, when they first got married, she would call me, ask me a question, totally innocent. And I'm like, have you talked to your husband? Well, not yet. Go talk to him. And then you guys call me together if you want my advice, but you go talk to him. Amen. And so we live in a time right now where we put people in the wrong positions and we put the wrong, by the way, before you ask the pastor, ask your husband. Amen. Amen. I have women calling me asking, whoa, I'm not, I'm not married to you. I know you're married. I met him. Go ask him. Amen. That's, that's not good. You don't want to do that. It all says in Matthew 10, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now that's heavy because if you're a mom or a dad, that's a deal. Can I get an amen to that? 
unconditional love beyond. I got to spend last weekend with my daughter for the first time in 15 years, just she and I for three days. And we walked down memory lane, went and saw my mom. We went and saw the house was up on the market. And it was the, oh, it was amazing because I, I miss my daughter. I love her so much I can hardly stand it. I'm the guy that drives down the freeway, thinks about my kids and starts crying. And my grandkids is double. But the reality is I love Jesus more. Amen? Amen. And so he's not saying that we, hey, we have the love that we have for God comes before the love for anything else. And people think, well, oh, but then that's not fair to my, no, I'm a better husband. I'm a better papa. I'm a better dad. I'm a better worker. I'm better at everything if I love God more than anything. Amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So he, removed, he, he did not remove the high places. I don't like that word, but in there, guys doing really well. And then you see that word and it's kind of sad. Then verse 15, he also brought into the house of the Lord, the things which his father had dedicated, the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. I love that Asa starts having victories. Abijam, we know from Second Chronicles, had a great victory. And what we see here is he takes the spoils and he puts them back in the house of God where they belong. He doesn't use it to build a huge mansion for himself like Solomon did. He doesn't use it for his glory. He brings it back and presents it where it belongs. And guys, that should be the passion. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If your focus is on your house, if your focus is on your career, and again, take good care of those things. They belong to the Lord, but the Lord needs to come first. We don't give God the rest. We give God our best. Amen. Of our times, our time, our talents, our gifts, all of it. We give all of that to the Lord above anything else. Asa brings the spoils of the victories God had given him and his father to the house of the Lord and he gives it to the Lord instead of keeping it himself. Now watch what it says here. Now there was a war between verse 16, Asa and Basha, king of Israel all their days. Now Basha is going to be the king two after Jeroboam. It's going to be Jeroboam, Nabad, Nadab, and then him. So he's still far, far. So we're seeing a little out of sequence because we haven't been introduced to them, but we will before the chapter ends. It says, now Basha, the king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So remember that Jeroboam created his own religion so people wouldn't go down to Jerusalem and he made worship convenient and he put up false gods. And so the same thing happens today. Well, you know, there was drive-in church for a while, like drive-through church. You can have church in four minutes. You drive up to this, you know, I'll take, I'll take a, a hamburger and give me a little prayer while I'm at it, right? Or, you know, give me a sermonette for Christianettes. Give me a 30-second, you know, sermon. And the reality is that a lot of people, they come to God in the most convenient way possible. They don't want to, they don't, if it costs them anything. We lost people because we moved eight miles, how long is it taking your air conditioner or heated car to drive eight miles on a Sunday when there's no traffic? But you'll drive to Dodger Stadium and wait two hours to get in the parking lot. Amen. You'll, go to the, you'll drive to a movie theater and get good seats. Guys, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. We don't want God to be the priority and the passion of our life. So this war goes on and Ramah, here's what he does. His dad had made worship easy. And he tried to keep them from going down to Jerusalem because he's afraid they wouldn't come back. He goes one step further. He's basically blocking off anybody from coming in and out of Judah. He's going to trap the line so nobody can come in and bring them supplies so nobody can leave. And he's building this place up to basically starve them out to bring, to bring problems. So the king of the north, they, remember, they're all the children of Israel. They're all from the descendants from Abraham. They're, they're killing each other. And now he's setting up this division between the North and the South and to keep Jer Jerusalem from being fed, cared for. So now what should, what should Asa do right now? If you look up and you see that they're building this in Ramah, they're building this fortress and they're going to mount up people so that you can't get food to your people. What should be the first thing you do? What should you do? Pray. There it is. Praise God. One of the pastors got it. Pray. First thing, get on your knees and pray. 
Jesus is the first place we turn. He's not the last place we go. Well, I tried everything else. I guess I'll pray. I love when people tell me, well, I can't do anything for you, but I can pray. The best thing you can do for anybody is pray. Can I get an amen to that? Now, watch what happens. Instead of praying, time has passed. Ace has won some victories. We already know he's got some gold and silver because he put it, he put it in, the, in the temple. He's got stuff in the house of God. Some time's gone by. He may not be as desperate as he used to be. Look at verse 18. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that he left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of uh, Tabramon, the son of Hezion, the king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I've sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, the king of Israel, so that he will, will withdraw from me. Here's his plan. He's going to go bribe. Syria is, so Israel's at the north. Judah's at the south. Syria is further north. And so what he does is he sends guys to go and bribe this king to leave his allegiance with Basha and Israel and attack them from the north so that they will be so occupied they'll have to stop building this wall and this division from Jerusalem and they'll have to run up to the north and defend themselves. So he's going to align with Syria to get over on and break down this problem he's having with Israel. Now he does not consult God. He does not pray. He doesn't seek counsel from a prophet. He just does it. And the sad part is, the worst part is, it's going to work. And sometimes we do things in our own strength and then it works. So then we think we did the right thing and now we just keep doing it. Instead of being humble, broken and desperate for the Lord. So he goes up and he bribes. By the way, we're going to see what the king of Syria has to say in some chapters down the road. We're going to find out that the king of Syria is far worse than the very guy he was trying, Basha. He's going to be far worse. And he's going to bring greater harm to the children of Israel. And he's aligning himself with an ungodly man instead of crying out to the true and living God. He's running to an ungodly man for help instead of running to the Lord for help. Guys, it's always a mistake when we choose to seek help from men instead of choosing to seek help from God. So Basha, the king of Israel, all of a sudden he's going to hear about how people are attacking us from the north and we can fall into the same trap because here's what he does. He's got money to fix the problem. So he sends a bribe. If he didn't have any money, he probably would have prayed. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> he's got enough money. He can just write a check. He's got enough. His army's been, you know, here's what happens. Again, if you've been walking with the Lord sometime, here's the reality. When, you're, when you've been walking with the Lord a period of time, and you get a little bit older, usually, and we're not talking about Rolls Royce, name it and claim it, grab it and blab it. But, you know, if you're walking with the Lord for a while, usually God bless you to some degree. That you, you probably have a little bit of money in the bank, right? If you're honoring the Lord, because you're not spending it on drugs and alcohol and women and going to Vegas and buying lotto tickets. So you got a little more money than the world does. Can I get amen to that? You're not investing in nonsense. So here's the reality that we can fall into the trap of, well, that's the problem. Let's write a check. Well, that's the problem. Well, I've done this before. I've got wisdom. I'll answer it. And I'm not saying God can't use that but we need to get on our knees first. Amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek the Lord first above all else. Now watch what happens. So Asa, just no crying out to God. So he sent them to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty. So Ben-Hadad, verse 20, heeded King Asa and sent captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ijon and Dan. Dan is the northernmost part of uh, Israel. Abel, Abel Beth Machaha, all Chinnereth. Chinnereth is the garden, I mean, is uh, Sea of Galilee. By the way, I think the most beautiful place on this planet is the Sea of Galilee. Man, I love the Galilee. But there, so they attacked 
they brought people and they attacked all those areas, the Sea of Galilee. They attacked each, each Beth, uh, all Chenereth, and then with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it, he stopped building Ramah and remained in Tirzah. Tirzah was the capital of the northern part of Israel. So they were down there building this defense, building this line. They were going to keep the children of Jerusalem from being able to have any kind of commerce come to them, starve them out, come against them. And you know what? The plan worked because they were getting attacked from the north. So they had to pull everybody off from their southern border, send them all up to the northern border to fight against their enemy. And wow, it looks like he won without God's help. He did it in his own strength, with his own wisdom, without crying out to the Lord. The results do not justify the means. Amen? Just because you get a good result doesn't mean what you did is honoring to the Lord. And we see this in churches today. A lot of pastors I talk to, it's amazing how much pressure they feel to fill the place. They have a board that puts them under pressure. And if they don't get enough people, they're going to fire them. And that's the great thing about planning a church. You can't fire me. Sorry. I was here before all of you. I'm going to get on. Amen. Now I'm accountable. We have pastors. I'm accountable. I'm accountable to almighty God. And I want to be accountable. I need to be accountable, but I'm not going to be told I can't teach the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? Anybody says that they're fired. Can I get an amen to that? We're going to teach the Bible. We're going to honor God. We're going to do what God's called us to do. And we're not going to worry about number. You know, so boards, if you don't get it up to this number. So you know what they do? They got, they got a petting zoo on Sunday. They got the flying Walendas coming into, they got skate park at church. You know, they, you know, everybody gets a Big Mac on your way. I mean, they're doing anything to draw a crowd. And, and that's what Asa is doing. See, Asa is using his own wisdom instead of trusting in the Lord and doing what God has commanded him. Here's, here's the qualifier for everything we do. You ready? Does it honor the Lord? Amen. If it doesn't honor the Lord, we're not doing it. Amen? I have a pastor friend that hired professional musicians. They're most of them are in rock bands. They lead worship at his church and none of them are saved. I'm like, bro, Really? Give me Tim over the Rolling Stones all day. Can I get an amen to that? Give me somebody who loves Jesus and leads us into the presence of the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? But does it honor the Lord? And you know what? That's not just true for the church. That's true for you and for me. When we're making choices, does this honor the Lord? This job where I'm going to work, does this honor the Lord? Would it honor the Lord for me to work there? Will it honor the Lord for me to court or date this person? Will it honor the Lord to make the choices that I'm making? Everything should be viewed in that lens. Does it honor the Lord? And everything we do in this fellowship, I promise you, if it doesn't honor the Lord, we're not doing it. Amen? Amen? We want to honor God above all else. Everything we do. Ends don't justify the means. Our prayer, our desperation in honoring God should grow and not fade over time. This is again the problem because if once you've been saved a while, you know, I've heard people say this, oh, he's a new believer. He'll, he'll, he'll mellow out, right? You meet a new believer, they're just excited. Hey, praise the Lord. I'm so happy to be at church. Like, dude, relax. And I'm glad, you know what? We need to be a little more like those people. Can I get an Amen. You go to a stinking football game and you scream and you come to a church, you can't sing worship songs because you're shouting for the, the Raiders and watching them lose or the Rams or whoever. Here's the reality though. Here's the reality though. The reality is that we should be more excited to come be with God's people than anything else. We should be more excited about spending time in God's word than anything else that might want to entertain us. We should be more excited about spending time in prayer. The veil's been torn and you can talk to the creator of the universe. They have this new thing called Cameo. I don't know if you've seen this, where you get anybody to like wish your, somebody in your family happy birthday. You can get anybody and you pay some money and they'll, they'll send them a one minute video and people, it's a big thing. And no, oh, that's fine. Um, I get to talk to almighty God anywhere and anytime. And the price was already paid. Can I get an amen to that? And yet we, we're so focused on everything else that we don't realize what a blessing it is that we can talk. I can talk to the creator of the universe while I'm driving in my car and he hears me. Amen. And we not take that lightly or take it for granted. We should become more desperate for God over time, not less. We should become more in love with the Lord, not less. We should be more excited about the things of God. The more, the more of this book, you know, the more spiritually mature you'll become when you start obeying it. Can I get an amen to that? You know what? This is a love letter written by 
And the cool thing about this only book where the author loves the reader. Can I get an amen to that? And when you read it, the better you get to know him, the more you love him. Because to know him is to love him. Can I get an amen to that? And the more we, we, and if you can't fall in love with the Lord fully if you don't know who he is, if you don't spend time with him. If I didn't spend time with my wife, my marriage wouldn't last. And yet some of us, we don't open our Bible ever. We have to force you to take one at church on Sunday. And the reality is that guys, nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. And a dusty Bible is a sign of a fruitless life. Amen. So Asa puts his faith in his own ability. And then it says in verse 22, then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So they went, I mean, this really did work because they got all the spoils. They left all their you know, construction materials and they took it all and they built stuff for themselves. And so it looks like it worked that the enemy ran away. They got all their stuff. There's no more threat anymore. Hey, this was a great idea. I didn't need God. See, well, the answer is not done yet. Cause we're going to see what happens with Syria several chapters away. It says that the rest of the acts of Asa all his might, all that he did, the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Jump in Jehoshaphat. We're going to get to him next week. He's going to be the next king. There's actually a Jehoshaphat in the Bible. You probably didn't even know that, but he, there is. So the lesson I want to learn from Asa is two things. I love that he stood for God when nobody else would. I love that he loved God more than even his family. I love that he was willing to fire his grandma and burn down her stuff. Can I get an amen to that? I love that he, he took initiative when nobody else would. I love that we'll see in Chronicles, he won some mighty victories in battle and he called on the name of the Lord and God blessed him. But we also see that Asa, like all of us, is far from perfect because he became self-reliant for a while. And that was a huge mistake. Now, it says in 2 Chronicles, let me give you a little more information on Asa. So there, there were Ethiopians that attacked. Asa fought 30 years earlier. He had trusted in the Lord to give him victory over a million Ethiopians. It's in 2 Chronicles. A million Ethiopians come and attack he cries out to God and God gives him victory. And now way less people come down from Israel and instead of trusting God to give him victory, he comes up with his own plan and writes a check. So he had seen God show up in a mighty way when he cried out to God. And this time he chooses not to cry out to God. And you know what, guys? I love being reminded, by the way, can I encourage, here's, I want to encourage you to do something if you're not, if you've never done this. I want to encourage you, just get a, just get a pad of paper and start, and start a prayer journal. And I love it. I have them going back 30 years. You know what's amazing about it? I have a date book and I write prayers in there. And then you go back and you look at all the prayers God answered. I remember praying for children. We lost our first child. They told us we'd never have kids. That was going to be very difficult for us to have children. Have you met my four kids and my five grandsons? God answers prayer. Can I get an amen to that? And you go back and you forget that you even prayed about it. You forget what God has done. You forget the greatness of God. Do you know that every prayer request that's ever been given to me by this church is still at my house? And I still pick some up from 2014 and pray for them again if they haven't been answered yet. And the ones that have been answered, I thank God for it. Can I get an amen to that? And guys, we forget the greatness of our God if we don't spend enough time in prayer and if we don't remember all the great things he's already done. Amen? And he forgot about the Ethiopians because some 30 years had passed and now he's got enough money and he can just write a check to fix it. You know what? I pray that I never have so much money that I cease to be desperate for God. Can I get an amen to that? We need to cry out to the Lord and make him the priority. Early on, he was desperate and now he's using his own wisdom. Point, he ceased to be desperate for the Lord. So he, see, he had been desperate early on. He ceased to be desperate here. Finally, you can think that God's righteous judgment will never come. Look at verse 25. 
says, now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. So we're going back in time. They always compare it to the time. So Asa, by this point in the text here, he's much older. He said he reigned over Israel how long? Two years. Two years. And he did evil in the sight of his Lord, and he walked in the way of his father. There's that, there it is again. The, God encapsulizing this man's life in half a sentence. He said of Abijam that he was evil and he did what was, you know, he did the same as his father had done and he did not walk with the Lord. And then it says just the opposite of praise God for, for, uh, paper locking on his name right now, Asa. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and he honored God. Now we have another king and he does not honor the Lord. He did evil in the sight. He walked the way of his father and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Now Israel had sinned because his father Jeroboam had set up false gods and set up a new religion and come and worship the golden calves. You don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. You don't have to get in your car and drive to church. You can just sit home and watch five different messages on TV while you're flipping back and forth with the football game. Or you can honor God. And so here he doesn't honor the Lord. The same sin that his father taught. Then Basha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Basha killed him at Gibbothon, which belonged to the Philistines, when Nadab and all of Israel laid siege at Gibbothon. Now, this is, there's so many issues here. We don't have a lot of time to deal with it. But here's the thing. Gibbothon was part of the land that was given to Israel by, the, by God. Because they did not wipe out the Philistines like they were supposed to, the Philistines took it back. Now, they're attacking to get back the land that belonged to them. That's the right thing to do, actually. But in the midst of that, Besha sees, hey, this is a war. This is a big battle going on. What better time to sneak up behind the king and just kill him as he's trying to fight a battle against the enemy? And this is so tragic because this is what happens when nobody's walking with God. Can I get an amen to that? Here's the focus. He just wants to be king and he doesn't care who he has to eliminate. I, I would hope when you enter into a battle that you enter in with people that are on your side. Can I get an amen? People that are for you, godly people that love you. This is why we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. This is why we bad company corrupts good morals. We don't want to be arm in arm with someone who doesn't know God and really is working for the enemy. Can I get an amen? And here he's arm in arm with someone who's working for the enemy. And in the midst of the battle, he kills the king. He kills him right there on the battlefield. He takes him out. And it says, so it was that he killed all the house. Verse 29 said he killed him in the third year of the king of Judah and reigned in his place. And so it was, he became king and he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave Jeroboam or anyone that breathed until he destroyed him. According to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken to his servant Ahijah, the Shulite, Shulonite. Here's what happened. Remember, way back when Jeroboam was in rebellion, when Jeroboam set up the false gods, Ahijah came to him and told him, God is going to judge you and he's going to wipe out your heritage from the face of the earth. And so as Basha comes along, he not only kills the king, but he wipes out the rest of Jeroboam's uh, ancestors. Now, even though God said that it would happen, Basha was wrong when he did it. And we're going to see later that God is going to condemn him for doing it. So when God knows something's going to be done, it doesn't mean that when it gets done, the person doing it's on God's side. Can I get an amen to that? So God knew and God knew how it was going to come about and God knew it was righteous judgment on Jeroboam, but it was ungodly behavior by Basha. And so too often people will say, well, God said, so he must be honoring the Lord. No, he's a murderer and he just is hungry for power. We're going to find out how it works out for Basha, how, how he's listed here, because it already has told us what kind of man he was. It says there, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned, verse 30, by which he had made Israel sin because of his provocation, which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Jeroboam had provoked God to anger. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When you provoke God to anger, that's not good. Amen? Don't you want to bring a smile to our Savior's face? Don't you want to be a sweet smelling aroma in his presence? Don't you want to be, don't you want to bless him? Because he's blessed us. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab, 
And all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles and the king of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. This nonstop battle, this nonstop war, and it's all taking place because they're not walking in the center of God's will. Now Asa has started honoring God and Asa has torn down the idols and praise God for Asa. But, but Israel is not. They're in rebellion. By the way, I told you that the rest of the kings we see in Israel, they're all evil. All of them. There's not one good one in here. We're going to see several in Judah. It's almost like it goes back and forth. But here's what it says. What I love about that is a good king can come from ba- a bad king. And a bad king can come from a good king because we all have our own free will. We all make our own choices. Finally, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Tirzah, and he reigned for 24 years. Here we go. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. We've seen four kings in tonight's text, five kings in tonight's text. And of those kings, guess what? Four of them were evil and one was honoring to the Lord. And that's all that matters. All the other stuff that happens, doesn't even matter. What matters is what God says about us, what God knows about us. Amen. What have you done with God's son? Nothing else matters. We're each responsible for our own actions. There's a civil war going on in Israel. There's idolatry all around and praise God for young Asa steps up and takes down all the idols. Praise God for Asa who steps up and isn't worried about what his friends think. He doesn't worry about mom and dad thinks. He doesn't worry about what grandma thinks. He's gonna honor the Lord. Praise God. And you know what? Even though most people are living evil and wicked lives, there's always that remnant. And guys, that's why I need some of you to stay in California because we need a remnant. Can I get an amen? If you all go to Idaho, Montana, Texas, Arizona, and Tennessee, I guess the pastors will still be here when we hand out tracks or something, right? Because somebody's got to stay here because California may be the biggest mission field on the planet right now. People here need Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? So in closing, the choices we make matter. Follow in the footsteps of ungodly examples. We can take a stand for what is right when no one else will. We can fall into the other trap of ceasing to be desperate for the Lord because we're resting in our own wisdom and our own finances. Or we can think that God's righteous judgment will never come. See, Basha reigned for 24 years and he thought during that time, well, look, I killed the king. I took the kingdom and look, I'm still king. But guess what? Judgment came. And judgment's coming for everyone. And my prayer is, that if you don't know the Lord, you know him before that day comes. Can I get an amen? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that nothing's in the Bible by chance. And Lord, I pray that we would have a heart and a love for you above all else. That we would seek first your kingdom and your glory. That you would be the priority and the passion of our life. That we would deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow you. That we'd be unashamed of the gospel that we'd live holy and set apart lives in the midst of a wicked and a perverse world. Lord, we know we can't do any of that without your help, without the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. Without you, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, I pray that we would live every day in light of eternity, paint eternity on our eyes, Lord. May we live every day looking for divine appointments and opportunity to tell other people about you. Lord, may we never lose sight of the fact that apart from you, there is no good thing in us. That we are all just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. May we never be arrogant. May we never be self-righteous. Lord, keep us humble. Keep us broken. Keep us desperate. Keep us filled with your Holy Spirit and keep us usable for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said,